Thank you for joining us once again at the Walk Down Memory Cane podcast from the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired with Dan Thompson. Today we share with you a list of distinguished alumni from the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired. We hope you find some interesting information here for you. And you, your loved ones, and your friends and neighbors are all in good health, both spiritually and physically. God bless. Distinguished alumnus of ISVI revised March 4, 2023 complete document. Distinguished alumnus of ISVI, 1849-2022. The start of each graduate's information is marked with an asterisk. This will look like two in signs in Braille. R.I. Carpenter, graduated 1881 and started the Alumni Association. Arthur Jewell, graduated 1886. He was the first printer employed at this school. He was one of the founders of the school's alumni organization in 1887. Mr. Jewell was a proficient operator of the stereotype machine. He wrote rapidly and accurately, and was able to read and correct his own proofs. He operated the press without difficulty. Several thousand plates were stereotyped for the musical library. Mr. Jewell also stereotyped plates for the literary department. For 20 years Mr. Jewell gave excellent and untiring service to the school in the printing department. He died February 7, 1912. Dr. Bullitt and the Blind Doctor, graduated 1904. Jacob Bullitt and went on to be the first totally blind medical doctor. He diagnosed tuberculosis. He died at age 36 from the very disease he prescribed treatments and medication for others suffering from the disease. Emma Kubitschek, a student at the Illinois State School for the Blind at Jacksonville, died of pneumonia in 1907 at age 11. She was known in all the state schools across the U.S. as the Illinois Helen Keller. Francie Moon, graduated 1909. She was the school's totally blind librarian for 50 years. She retired in 1963 when the library that was built in 1937 when the west side of the new dining room was demolished. Louis W. Rodenberg, graduated 1911, received the Meijel Medal from Helen Keller in 1942 for his contribution to education for the blind around the world. Mr. Rodenberg retired in 1965 after 50 years of service as printer, brailist and head of the IBSSS school print shop. During this half-century of service, he has brought fame and honor to both the school and the state of Illinois. He is regarded as an international authority in the fields of Braille literature and Braille music. He has written no less than eight books, or keys, on the development of Braille music notation and has been a leader in this field, with early associates one of whom was Mrs. Alice Mathis Geisler of Jacksonville, music instructor at IBSSS for 50 years. He developed the bar-over-bar method of music notation in Braille, now used internationally. Because of his interest and ability, in 1929 he was chosen to represent American interests as delegate to the International Conference on Braille Music in Paris, France. Since that date, he has served on every international conference on Braille music, including a 1954 appointment to UNESCO as consultant in the school print shop, which has been more a Braille print shop, serving the public than a purely local service center. He has been involved in the development of some important Braille devices and originated American music Braille. Mr. Rodenberg is ingenious as well as a student in music and literature. He has created up-to-date maps in Braille, devices to aid the deafblind, primers for the newly blinded adult in his time. His services have been multiple, his abilities unique. Mr. Rodenberg and Mr. Frederick Myers, music teacher, helped write the song School Days that was written for the school in 1959. Hobart Stevenson, graduated in 1917. He started the Hobart Stevenson Braille Proficiency Award to encourage use of Braille for reading and writing. He also did lots of work in the school's print shop. Hubert Watson, upon graduating from the Illinois School for the Blind in 1924, learned that necessity is the mother of invention. In order to hold a telephone switchboard job he applied his ingenuity to an invention by which a blind operator can use the telephone switchboard intended for seeing people only. 
Realizing that the blind must depend entirely upon the sense of touch and hearing he devised the pilot touch system, the mechanism of which corresponds to that of the light system on the switchboard, but is operated by the sense of touch instead of sight. Mr. Watson who was totally blind, though a skilled electrician, took 220 coils for a 180 line capacity, each coil having 30 minute processes in construction, such as constructing spool, winding hair fine wire, drilling for terminals, inserting coils in panel, assembling movable core, etc. 1500 holes were drilled for the insertion of round-headed brass tacks for the purpose of forming braille numerals which correspond to the light numerals. This equipment is placed in a cabinet 20 inches long, 10 inches wide and 3 inches deep. It contains 180 brass pegs, all of which are level with the floor of the cabinet. When a call comes in, the peg, which is identical with the light number, clicks and rises one-fourth of an inch above the floor. The blind operator hears the click, touches the braille number and answers the call as quickly as does the seeing operator. The cabinet is placed at the operator's left so that he can ascertain the number with his left hand and answer the call with his right hand. The same power that controls the lights also operates the system of pegs, and the installation of the pilot touch system interferes in no way with the seeing operator. This is the first and only invention of its kind that is known, and Mr. Watson explains that it is neither intricate nor complicated, that he spent 400 hours in completing the system at a cost of $1,000. The cabinet, with complete equipment, costs only $150 and has proved to be a blessing to a number of blind operators. Since the invention has proved to be entirely satisfactory, 18 telephone switchboard operators have been placed by the State Department of Public Welfare and the state institutions. During the next seven years after the invention, these individuals have proved their efficiency in this new field of employment. The cabinet can be attached to any switchboard easily, and through this invention the blind operator can fill a useful place, earn his livelihood and be happy and independent. Samuel Bradley Burson, graduated 1936. Samuel Bradley Burson loved to build and analyze things as a child and expected to become a physicist one day. But a tragic gun incident when he was 15 made that dream harder to envision. After a friend accidentally shot him in the head with a gun, Mr. Burson lost all but a small portion of his eyesight. The overall injuries caused by the wound were so severe at the time that his survival was listed in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Though he made a miraculous recovery, he later encountered scientists as a student at Stanford University who discouraged him from pursuing a career in physics. They said he could never achieve success in such a highly technical and scientific field as a blind man. They suggested he become a lawyer instead. Mr. Burson initially took the advice, while never losing his dream. And after several years of detours including three years of law school and a brief teaching career he earned his doctorate in physics from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in 1946. He then went on to work as a physicist for Argonne National Laboratory near Lamont and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission in Washington, D.C. He also applied his law degree to his work as a co-founder and leader of the American Council of the Blind, which was formed in 1961 to advocate for legislation to benefit the blind. Willard Ice, graduated 1933, Mr. Ice is credited for writing most of Illinois tax laws. He held the position of Department of Revenue's chief counsel for 35 years. In 1976 Willard joined a Chicago law firm which handled a very large volume of tax work. Willard lost his vision at age 4. However, this did not slow him down. He completed his undergraduate education in three years, graduated as valedictorian and was admitted to Phi Beta Kappa. He also led his class at the University of Illinois Law School, where he was elected to the Order of the Coif, Phi Beta Kappa, the board of editors of the Bar Journal and president of the Junior Bar Association. He practiced law in Danville before joining the Rules and Regulations Division of the Department of Finance the predecessor agency of the Revenue Department in 1942. Lenny Tristano, graduated in 1938. He was a jazz pianist, composer and teacher who was a prominent innovator in the period of cool jazz in the late 40s and early 50s died of a heart attack on Saturday at his home, 172-54 Highland Avenue, Jamaica. He was 89 years old.
Mr. Tristano's small groups trios, quartets, quintets, and sextets had a harmonic and rhythmic distinction, based on single knot melodic lines that were unusually long, during the late 40s when most jazz experimenters were concerned with bebop. Our harmonies are strongly impressionistic, Mr. Tristano once said in explaining his style. I try to go beyond bop, which adheres largely to the given harmonic structure. We don't restrict ourselves to the chord when we play melody. Our rhythms are superimposed one on the other. Sometimes I play three different rhythms at once, while the other boys are each playing separate ones. Theodosia Stewart, Princess Stewart, attended ISB from 1938 through 1941. She went on to become a world-renowned gospel singer. She was given the name Princess Stewart by Mahalia Jackson, another gospel singer when she was in New York. Charles R. Simpson, graduated 1940. He became a Illinois state legislator. Next he was assigned the position of Director of the Legislation and Regulations Division of the Chief Counsel's Office of IRS. He was an honors graduate of the University of Illinois and of its law school. He earned a graduate degree in law at Harvard. He formerly practiced law in Champaign, Illinois, and served two years as a Democratic member of the Illinois General Assembly. Alvin H. Roberts, graduate 1950. This class did not graduate at ISB because the auditorium was not yet completed. They graduated instead from McMurray College. As stated above, Mr. Roberts graduated from the Illinois School for the Blind, ISB, in Jacksonville in 1950. He attended Southern Illinois University in Carbondale and received his BA degree in political science and education in 1954. Mr. Roberts took a position with the state of Illinois in 1954 as a home teacher where he continued until 1963. Alvin became a supervisor in 1963 and continued in this position until 1980. He then took a position as regional administrator and remained in this position until 1999 when taking the position of quality insurance administrator where he stayed until retiring. Alvin also was the superintendent of ICRE Wood in 1984. Alvin published many articles addressing rehabilitation for visually impaired persons as well as two books coping with blindness. Personal Tales of Blindness Rehabilitation by Alvin Roberts, November 30, 1998, and Tavern Tales. Alice Fleischmidt, graduate, 1963. Alice grew up in Bartonville, Illinois. She attended grade K through high school at IBSSS. Alice recorded two albums of her favorite songs. She was an expert piano player and singer. Alice was a Department of Rehabilitation counselor for over 30 years. Lemuel Wilburn Phipps, graduated 1965. After graduating from IBSSS in 1965, Lemuel enrolled at Seaman Carbondale. After receiving a bachelor's degree in science he accepted a position at Kennedy King College in Chicago where he worked as the first totally blind financial aid counselor for 30 years. He won first place in the state of Illinois wrestling during his sports career at IBSSS. Ronald Lee Terhark, graduated 1965. He became a self-taught photographer and ran and owned a photography store as well as a large photo-taking business in Jacksonville, Illinois. He is known all over Illinois for his expertise in photography. Gerald Spinner, attended the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired in Jacksonville and left in 1966. He graduated from Sandoval High School. He married Nancy Hughes on July 7, 1978, in Springfield. He attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign where he earned an undergraduate degree in European History and the University of Illinois College of Law for a Juris Doctor degree. Gerald practiced law in Springfield where he served first as Corporation Counsel for the City of Springfield and as Director of Legal Services for the State of Illinois Department of Rehabilitation Services. From 1979 to 2003, Gerald was Assistant Legal Advisor for the Illinois State Board of Education specializing in government finance and contracts in special education. Gerald and Nancy retired in February 2003 and moved to Chandler, Arizona. William Michael Lewis, graduated in 1967. He went by Mike Lewis. Mike was a very accomplished pianist and was one of the lead singers for the campus rock and roll band, The Wild Ones. 
Mike went on to play backup for a while with Anne Murray and knew several pop artists of the 1960s personally. Bruce Stanton McDonald, graduated 1967. Bruce was an extremely accomplished guitarist, both steel and six strings. He was the lead guitarist in the same campus rock and roll band as Mike Lewis. Bruce was offered contracts with Nashville and some other record companies. Sadly, his wife frowned up on the idea of him traveling and prevented any more hopes of Bruce's success of becoming a nationally known guitarist. He played in local bars and for special events around the state of Illinois. Janice Sue Harnadia graduated from IBSSS in 1970. She graduated from Greenville University in Greenville, Illinois with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Mathematics in 1974. She worked for the state of Illinois, Division of Rehabilitation Services which later became a part of the Department of Human Services. She started as a computer programmer and later worked as a programmer analyst. She worked there for 25 years retiring in 2002. Dan M. Thompson graduated from ISVI in 1972. He graduated from Southern Illinois University Carbondale in 1984 with honors degree in special ed specializing in learning disability, behavior disability, educable mentally handicapped. The title of scholar was put on his diploma as a result of success in honors projects. He also received several awards for academic achievement and student leadership including Abraham Lincoln Achievement, Harry S. Truman Presidential Award for Scholastic Achievement and several Student Government and Dean's List Certificates Awards. Dan held the student government position of Commissioner of Minority Affairs for two years. Dan has taught junior high as well as high school up to 1989. He then became the first blind disability adjudicator for the state where he remained until 1991 when starting teaching at the Jacksonville, Illinois School for the Visually Impaired and retired May 28, 2011. He has been working with assistive technology as an educator and as a totally blind computer specialist since 1980. Other recognitions of achievements include 1985 A. Martin Award for Scholastic Achievement under Extraordinary Conditions, the A. Lincoln Citizenship Scholastic Achievement Award from then-Governor Jim Thompson, 1984 Harry S. Truman Award for Academic Performance Commitment to Children, Excellence in Teaching 2008 Award from the Illinois Association of Blind Students, Illinois Council for the Blind Award for Recognition of Teaching Excellence, Government Service and Path Award for Life Achievement 2005 from the Governor of Illinois, the 2022 Rotary International Paul Harris Fellow Medal in Appreciation of Tangible and Significant Assistance Given for the Furtherance of Better Understanding and Friendly Relations Among People of the World. 250 miles across the state for the 2001 New York disaster relief effort, raising around $10,000.00, founded the Care for Kids Foundation, 1976-1980, for runaways orphans, 2012 Community Volunteer of the Year, founded the Aspire Foundation, achieving success by providing individuals with recycled equipment. This later became Fresh Start of Jacksonville in 2017, founded the Fresh Start organization for providing free assistive technology and training for young adults on into seniors, received the 2013-14 ISVI Visionary Award given to those making significant contribution to the field of education for low vision or blind children. Dan has written five books, Beyond the Baroques, a book about his grandfather and world eye, assistive technology reference guide, Making Computers Fun, and Pieces of Me, first and second editions which is a 365-day devotional with bits and pieces of his life sprinkled through the devotions. The Making Computers Fun was written for the Brand Thomas Educational Center located at 3240 Headley in Springfield, Illinois. He volunteered there from 2016 to the start of 2018, then started working there from 2018 through the start of COVID in December 2020. He is curator of the ISVI Alumni Association's Museum. He is very involved in the First Presbyterian Church of Jacksonville serving on several committees, editing and recording church services and posting a weekly podcast of the service. Howard John Thomas, graduated ISVI 1972, attended Southern Illinois University, School of Technical Careers and received an associate degree in electronics technology in 1974, worked in the Chicago area and Michigan for three years, returned to Southern Illinois University and received a bachelor's degree in biomedical equipment technology in 1980.
worked in Springfield, Illinois at Memorial Medical Center for 18 years. Chris Foreman, attended ISVI from 1972 through 1974 and left for public school. He started the soul message band that has gone to be world-renowned in his jazz organist style which is a soulful and infectious style crafted around classic organ grooves, and rooted in Thai tradition of great Hammond B3 organists like Jimmy Smith, Jimmy McGriff, Charles Erlen, Jack McDuff, and Groove Holmes. Soul Message Band is founded on the enduring partnership of Chris Foreman, the Chicago-based and nationally celebrated Hammond B3 jazz organist, and the always solid drummer, Greg Rockingham, also known as The Rock. Greg and Chris have a 25-year history of collaboration, including groups like the Deep Blue Organ Trio. Mr. Rockingham and Mr. Foreman have an unmistakable chemistry that has taken them from Chicago to jazz clubs and arenas around the world as both headliners and as an opening group for Steely Dan. The band adds Chicago veteran guitarist, Lee Rothenberg on guitar. Kim Christine Phipps, graduated, 1989. Kim Phipps began attending the Illinois School for the Visually Impaired in 1981. She graduated in 1989. Kim went on to attend the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where she received her Bachelor of Arts degree with a major in Spanish in 1993. While at the university, Kim enjoyed a variety of enriching experiences, including the opportunity to study abroad both in Spain and in Brazil. Kim went on to attend the University of Illinois College of Law and earned her Juris Doctorate degree in the winter of 1999. After surviving the experience of studying for and passing the bar examination, she began her career with the Illinois Department of Human Services in 2001. She served as a labor relations liaison and legal counsel for the agency's Office of Human Resources until January 2004. She then transferred to the department's Office of the General Counsel, where she served, and continues to serve, as an assistant general counsel in the department's Division of Human Capital Development to the current date of March 4, 2023. Robert Herschel Sampson, graduated 2001, the blues man himself, Robert Sampson well-known local musician, Robert Sampson has a side that a lot of people don't see, and that's his humor. Besides being a local popular musician, Robert has a sense of humor that comes from his real-life experiences. He has competed in the Nashville Blues Expo and in several other blues contests. He is well known through the U.S. and in some countries abroad. He is a self-taught blues musician and is an awesome guitarist as well as extremely versed on the keyboard, saxophone and harmonica. He is known as Robert Lefty Preacher Sampson Living Blues. I include an awesome article by Robert found on the internet. Below, my name is Robert Herschel Sampson III, which to me sounds like a royalty name. I was born in East St. Louis, Illinois, in 1980. When I was born, I was three months premature and the doctors had told my mother that I wasn't going to live because I was barely over a pound when I was born. And, after spending three months of my life in a hospital, I ended up going home for three months and then I was put into foster care at the age of six months old because my dad was a very violent man and my mother couldn't take care of us. There were six of us in total and we were all placed in different foster homes, so we were all split up. When I was three years old was when music became a major part of my life. I remember I was sitting on my bed in my foster home listening to a radio station WESL of East St. Louis and this piano buggy thing came on and it woke up something inside of me. I walked into the living room and tried to crawl up on the piano but I couldn't get on there. So my foster mother put me on some books and I started playing what I heard and I found those notes. And, when I found those notes, it's like they say, that's history. This was in the East St. Louis area, and before that, I had been in a number of foster homes in the Metro East area. By the time I was 9 years old, I had been in 17 different foster homes. It was an experience, now that I look back, that I wouldn't take anything from it. It melded the blues to me and it made me who I am. When I was 9, I had run into my mother by a circumstance. She worked in a TJ Maxx and she knew who I was right off the bat, but I didn't know who she was. 
That same year in December, I went over to my grandpa's house and he played guitar and my mother got me my first guitar, which was a Yamaha acoustic, and the first song I learned how to play was Your Mama Don't Dance, and Your Daddy Don't Rock and Roll. I play left-handed on a right-handed guitar still strung right-handed, so basically, I'm playing upside down and backwards in open tuning. My mother played in open tuning, so when she gave me that guitar, it was naturally tuned in open and I just started playing it and, just like the piano, I had never touched a guitar I just picked it up and started playing I guess it's a God-given gift. I always give him the glory for my gift. When I was 10, I started taking up drums, because when I was 7 years old, I started attending a school in Jacksonville, Illinois, where I am from, for kids who are visually impaired, because I am visually impaired and legally blind. The school had got a drum set and a couple of my friends played drums, so I said I want to take a stab at this, so within a few months I had learned how to play drums. I learned how to play harmonica that same year. This was in 1990. One of my biggest influences from back then was Creedence Clearwater Revival. I loved that band with a passion I had a band when I was in elementary school and we called it Apollo 13. The reason we called the band that was one day, my friend and I were sitting in my bedroom playing guitars and I broke a string and I said, Houston, we have a problem, and he said that Apollo 13 would be a great name for a band. We had a lot of fun with that band and we played a lot of Credence-based stuff as we loved that band. I've always thought that John Fogerty is one of the most underrated guitar players and songwriters of all time. I loved them because they took country, rock, and blues and melded together and created their own thing. That's what spoke to me, as I have always been like that like, let's take this and this and this and stick it together and see what happens. For a while, I just played and played and played and improved my chops. I was playing guitar and piano at that time. When I was about 16 or 17, I took up an interest in the bass but I got bored with it. So, over the years I play drums, bass, guitar, piano, harmonica, saxophone, percussion, accordion, although not that well. Of course I sing, I play banjo, and I have fooled around with a mandolin before but it just wasn't my thing. From the time I was 11 to the time I was 21, they were pretty much the instruments I played. I played at my dormitory at school, rather than sitting in with other musicians, just learning to play stuff. Believe it or not, blues wasn't a part of my life back then. I was so absorbed with Credence as I loved their sound. When I was about 10 years old, the school I went to was a residential school and I'd heard Credence on the radio and I asked a college student there who they were and he told me, and I asked if he had any of their material. He was a huge music fan and he told me he had their CD Chronicle, Vol. 1 and in 2 weeks I had learned every song and every chord change and every lyric and I told him I needed more. Then he loaned me Chronicle, Vol. 2 and I learned everything on that in a couple of weeks and, in a month or so, I had learned most of the Credence stuff. I just couldn't get enough. So I started looking for some of the more obscure Credence stuff that wasn't that popular. Still to this day, I could sit and play Credence stuff all day. Over the years, my interest in them has got stronger. One of the songs they did was Before You Accuse Me and that was kinda like the catalyst that drew me into the blues, as I was interested to know who originally did that song and I found a version by Delbert McClinton and then I started researching who had covered the song, Mike Clapton, and after that, I discovered a whole catalyst of other blues musicians who had influenced him. So, it was like one thing led to another to another and to another. As I got older, some of the things from my past starting creeping up on me, because as a kid I was abused a number of times and in the 17 homes I had been in, most I had been abused in some way, shape, or form, beaten, raped, and just bad things. And when some of that stuff started coming back in my mind, I thought I needed something musically to take these feelings. I didn't really know what blues was then, but I started listening to some B.B. King and stuff like that and, at that time, I knew that this was the stuff I had been trying to get to the whole entire time. It's like I had to go about it in a roundabout way to then get to the blues. I started learning all types of blues tunes, and in my 20s was when I really got into the blues after that movie Ray came out, that really pulled me in the direction of the blues. 
I had listened to so much Ray Charles that, during my shows, I started singing like him. Ray was another like John Fogerty who took so many different styles and stuck them together. That's what I say to kids coming up in music, don't limit yourselves. And yes, I'm a blues musician, but I appreciate all sorts of music just as much as I do blues or else you become one-dimensional. It's all you will ever be. God plays a major part in my music. I was discharged from the foster care system when I was 20, but when I was still part of it, I went to a church every Sunday and they had this lady that played piano and I used to listen to the awesome melodic tones that she made out of that piano with the different chord structures and everything, and I used to love listening to her play in that old school gospel style. On the other side of church, a guy used to play the Hammond Beat 3 and there was nothing better than to hear the sound of those instruments together. So, I learned a lot of gospel music and I really love gospel music and I used to go around the house singing gospel all of the time. I had a little keyboard and I would start singing and playing the stuff I heard in church. There was this lady in my foster home and she asked me if I could play this and this and this and because I could play by her, I could pick stuff up quick and so I would play all that stuff I heard in the church and I would be in my room playing and she would be in her room and she would shout out, can you play Jesus on the main line? During my years growing up, I didn't have any friends I was visually impaired, I didn't act like a lot of the kids acted and I didn't listen to the music they listened to, which by this time was starting to become rap, and living in East St. Louis I was an outcast. So, I spent my summers doing the yard work that I was supposed to do and I would sit outside on the porch and spend all my allowance on batteries for my keyboard, and I would sit there and play until my keyboard went dead and then I would go inside and grab my acoustic guitar and play, all day long for three months I really credit that to where I have gotten now because I really hammered it constantly. Gospel is still a part of me I'm a minister of music at the church I go to I attend a church in Bayless, Illinois, and they are a Baptist church. My wife's father is a trustee of the church and her stepmom is the treasurer. In the apartment building where I lived, they came over and they were looking for someone to do the music at their church, so I have been playing there now for almost four years. So that's where the preacher part comes and I'm the only musician there. When I was around 21, I had a band called Bootleg and we played classic rock and some blues. When I was in that band, the guys used to constantly drink and smoke pot, and finally I quit the band because I got tired of that, as I don't do any of that stuff. So, I went back home and thought it was time to come up with a plan B so, I bought a keyboard that had a sequencer in it, which allowed me to record different sounds into the memory on the keyboard. Some of the first stuff I played was the British Invasion stuff, Beatles and stuff, and I would record the bass and drums on the keyboard and I learned how to use the keys to play drums so I thought about becoming a one-man band. As technology evolved, I bought myself a digital recorder that would burn CDs, so I learned how to become my own recording engineer and I would use the keys for the bass, but I wanted to make the sound more authentic, so I thought I would use a bass guitar, when I was about 23. After that, I started traveling around playing, and that's what I did for a living, in the Jacksonville and Springfield areas and some of the smaller towns, and it just blossomed into something where people started loving what I did. I started learning to do certain types of tricks, like when I play drums, I use the bass drum and hi-hat and all the other things on the keyboard, but to give it a natural snap, I will record a snare. So, from nothing to learning how to be a recording engineer and I've learned how to master stuff. In school, I had a teacher who was very helpful to me and before her, everything I played on piano I would have to memorize, as I can't read music. The music teacher before her, it was like concertos and stuff that bored me to death and in 1997, when she started, she asked me what I wanted to do and I was thrown by that, as before that it was like I had to learn classical stuff. As for my family and music, as far as I know, my mother played guitar and my grandmother sang and played guitar and my grandpa played guitar and I have a song called When Grandpa Sang the Blues. He used to sit on his porch and play the blues and people from all over the neighborhood would come and listen to him. His name was Robert White Sr. and he was from East St. Louis, although originally from Mississippi. My grandmother's name was Lillian Ross and my mother's name is Rosie Lee Sampson. My mother was in church and my grandpa was a preacher. 
Mike I said, I never was around my family, I was raised in foster care, so we were all split up. One of my brothers is a music minister and he has played Carnegie Hall. My uncle is David D., the blues guy from St. Louis, and I'd love to do some recordings with him in the future. How I really got started into blues was a friend of mine had a blues band called Pleasure Chest and he asked me if I would play keyboards in it. So, I started playing keyboards with them in 2005, and it was he that told me about the IBC. I then came to the attention of the Illinois Central Blues Club and I auditioned and won the challenge locally, so I ended up going to Memphis for the IBC in 2007 in the solo duo section I ended up making it to the finals that year, and the year after that, we went down as a band, treasure chest, but we didn't place. I've also been there with a band called Backpack Jones. They actually opened up for BB King when he was in Springfield, but sadly I wasn't with the band at that time. I've been involved in the IBC a total of 10 times and 4 out of those 10 times I have made it to the finals as a solo act, and the last time I was there was 2018 and once again made it to the finals I just have a hard time in getting past that hurdle. For the blues challenge, I play guitar and keyboards, that's what I stick to. I have regular gigs all of the time and I have two residential gigs, one is in Jacksonville called Los Rancheros, a Mexican restaurant, and another restaurant I play in Pittsfield, Illinois, called Nucci's. I got my lefty preacher name from a fan who was at one of my gigs in St. Louis who kept shouting out that name as I play the guitar upside down and backwards and my voice sounds like that of a preacher, so I like that name and it's stuck ever since. I have my own blues band and we have gone through several different names and I finally settled on Lefty Preacher and the Southpaw Congregation. So, I'm a solo artist and I also have my own band and I also play with several other bands. One is Stomping Ground, another is Hurricane Creek, and both play all sorts of stuff and I also play with a band called Bluesmatic. In my band, there are four of us and I play keys and guitar. I have a CD out called the Jukebox Boogie 2016, Lefty Preacher Records and all the songs are originals. And I try to make my songs visual, to where you listen to them, you get a picture of what is being sung about. I recorded it all at my studio I have at home, except for the mastering process done by Lawrence Baldwin who has since passed away. He played bass on recordings by Irma Thomas, Arthur Adams, Smokey Wilson, King Ernest, Finnis Tasby, Vernon Garrett, and others I'm working on a new album that I plan to call They Call Me Lefty Preacher. It's in the funding stage at present and I have plans to release it in a variety of formats such as vinyl. I have my own Pandora internet radio station as well. I've always wanted to march to the beat of my own drum and be an innovator and to always improve what I do. I love some of that old blues like Fats Waller and T-Bone Walker and of course B.B. King. And like most things in the blues, from Delta Blues and everything in between, I've become involved with the blues in the schools program that the Blues Foundation does. I travel around schools and teach kids about the blues and how it started and I tell them that the blues is not a sad music, which is a huge misconception that people have. Just listen to something like Caledonia. I've thought about pitching myself to labels but I love being an independent artist and the freedom it gives you. Although you have to spend more money and do more work in promoting yourself on your own I think being independent is the way to go because you can control more of the process in your career. Mike, I have my own record label, Lefty Preacher Records, and I promote myself using Facebook and social media, Reverb Nation, Twitter, and so on I do this thing, music, for a living, although I did in the past work for a gas station for a couple of years as a lot man, which is sweeping the place, cleaning the bathrooms and stuff, but I quit as I thought my calling was in music. I then got into music full time, but I had no way to get around with my equipment, but this guy gave me a bicycle and then I bought a two-wheel cart and attached it to the bike and I would go from gig to gig on that with my equipment, even in the dead of winter I put my phone number on the side of that trailer so as to advertise myself. If the money's right, I'm for hire. I now have a good friend, Jimmy, as my driver. The above interview took place in June 2018 in Springfield, Illinois. Many thanks go out to Jim Feeney and Robert's friend and driver Jimmy Davis.